welcome to Beyond Beckdale, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host, Contrera. another bonus episode. Before I explain the episode's theme, I wanted to take the opportunity to say that Beyond Beckdale very much believes that black lives matter. We can always do more on the podcast to support disadvantaged groups. We would like to discuss more content made by creatives of colour and we'll do our best to keep improving our coverage. This episode focuses primarily on two fantastic pieces of female cinema with messages that can be applied universally, but both movies are overwhelmingly white and I wanted to acknowledge that from the off. This week's episode concerns films that explore how women deal with unwanted pregnancy in dramatic form. However, before we get to that section, the main body, we briefly discuss Joker, without acknowledging the issues of colour that arise in the film either, which is overwhelmingly a film about a white man's experience. I wish we had explored people of colour in these films further. Also, Hilda Guanadottir, that's probably not how you pronounce it, is an Icelandic composer and she's not German, which is what I say in the podcast. And she wrote the score and not the soundtrack for Joker. And I think in our conversation, I make it sound like we were holding her personally responsible for making what I would think are dubious soundtrack choices. When I've researched this a bit further now and found out that it wasn't Hilda at all, it was director Todd Phillips and editor Jeff Roth. So apologies to her and bear this in mind when you listen to the podcast. Um, one last thing, there are spoilers for all the films mentioned, which I telegraph within the podcast, but want to say again right now. So if you want to have a look at the show notes and you don't want to be spoiled, then maybe watch the films first before coming back and listening. Thank you for listening to this longer than usual introduction. Here's the pod. Hello, I have invited Nick along to another episode of the podcast. Hello. Thank you for joining me again. Um, we've been under lockdown or whatever it is that we have now for about three two, months. Yeah, since what, mid, mid-March? Yeah, so maybe two and a half, two and eight a half. weeks, eight, nine weeks. Something like that. Yeah, and um, it's just getting to a point now here in the UK where something has been eased and so people have now gone absolutely crazy and are just walking outside and just, you know, touching each other and not socially distancing in a way that's very... Which is what we're about to do, right? (laughs) Walk outside and touch each other. (laughs) It's not really that kind of podcast, Mm. but I don't even know if that kind of podcast exists. Probably does, doesn't it? What, a touching podcast? Like ASMR or like porn podcast. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Anyway... (laughs) I thought that we would check in because it's been about a month since we last did an episode and talk about the things that we've been watching because you and I have been watching an awful lot of film and TV uh, when we haven't got that much else to do and we've been stuck inside. Is there anything new and noteworthy you've watched 
doesn't have to be Bjorn Bechdel related. Probably isn't, to be fair. <laughs> um, well, you know me, I like to go through my sort of classic films. And uh, well, we recently signed up to Mubi. Um, mm-hmm. And there were, quite, there were quite a lot of good films on there. We watched, uh, I watched a couple of Joseph Lucy films that were on there, um, Accident and uh, The Go-Between. And he is an English director. American. He's American? Yeah. Oh, but he makes very English... Well, he, he kind of, he, he sort of grew up, he grew up in America and he made films initially in America, then he kind of got ah. blacklisted and wound up in uh, Europe, predominantly Britain, but he also did films in, uh, you know, continental Europe as well. I did not know that. Just from Accident and from The Go-Between, I just thought he was British because they were so British, the films. He probably became sort of anglified over a period of time just mm. because he'd spent so much time uh, in Britain making films. Oh, and did you enjoy his yeah, films? There are definite, there's, there's, a, there's definite style of filmmaking there and, and definite subject matters there that are uh, uh, quite interesting to watch, I think. Any other notable performances or films or anything you've seen? Joker. Oh, you want to talk about that quickly? We can. Well, it's quite intense. <laughs> that yeah. much is true. Um, Let me ask you a question. What do you think about the female performances in Joker? Which what female performances would they be then? Point made. Thank you. So you liked Joker? Um, it's yeah, I did. I think I think I did. Yeah, it, I, I, it, it's got. It feels like a bit of a a, a, a Martin Scorsese run through more than anything else, um, uh, and that's fine. I, I you know quite like Taxi Driver, quite like King of Comedy. Um, um, but fairly intense. It's, uh, it's, it's not an easy watch. I think that it was a classic case of, of when somebody says, is something a good movie? And you're torn between, is this something I sat down and really enjoyed? Or is this something that is clearly made in an expert manner, mm. but was something to endure? Yeah. And for me personally, yeah. <laughs> I endured Joker. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a film that you just sort of sit down and casually watch on a Saturday morning, is it? It, it's, <laughs> it's, it takes quite a lot of thought. I don't even know if I'd ever watch it again. Yeah. I mean, I, I might uh, you know, in years to come, I suppose, but it's certainly not a, a movie that you watch repeatedly and repeatedly. Would you watch Taxi Driver or King of Comedy Well, again? that's the thing. I have seen Taxi Driver probably about five or six times, so I could have done that um okay yeah who knows maybe i will watch joker i don't Mm. think so i think that when we discussed this previously i did find i had this visceral reaction to the i'm trying to find a word that isn't glorification because i don't think that's fair but I always think that as a filmmaker, you have to be very careful that if you're trying to condemn something or to illustrate it, you should be careful that you don't inadvertently draw positive. Glorify is probably the word. Yeah, probably is. Do you think? Do you think that's fair to um... to like? It's basically like white man incel behaviour. I want to come up with something a bit better. I think there's derogatory treatment of people with mental illness is one thing. But it was very hard to tell in Joker's case how much of it was a undiagnosed or unrecognised medical condition Mm. versus a person who was just upset because they thought the world entitled them to something and then 
took on a vigilante personality mm. that actually ended up putting them on a negative downward spiral to becoming a murderer, a psychopathic murderer, because he didn't really understand the nature of his yeah. actions. Like, he had the laughing condition, and I mm. think that was really good. I think there were some things in that film that really um, worked into the kind of folklore around Batman and Gotham City and all of that, and Joker, which basically came up from Heath Ledger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think Walking Phoenix was amazing, but again, I don't know to what extent I needed that film to be made. Well, does any film need to be made? I don't know. Um, I still found it good. I mean, it, it, you don't have. You to, don't have to agree with me. Well, I, I think I think it's a case of does it have a message? Yes. Um, which could be about disenfranchisement and disaffectment of uh, and disaffected people. Poverty uh, was also an issue as yeah. well. I don't want to. Do, I don't want to say that there weren't legitimate issues in there. Like he yeah. was poor. The system let him down in terms of his work and yeah. his diagnosing and helping his conditions. I, th- I think I issues think with his of, mother. Well, I think some of that was clumsy. I, I think the issues yeah. with the, the the. I always am a little bit suspicious of when the way mental health issues are portrayed in films like this because I'm I'm not right. entirely sure that they are accurate. I think <laughs> that I think that they are slightly sensationalised for a dramatic effect, but. Um, Okay, fine. Um, there is a message in there, and it, it could be a good one, could be a bad one. Depends on your point of view, I suppose. I think I think it's more just a very visceral film more than anything else. It's yeah. very, very hard to watch. You, you, you yeah. see, I think you always, whenever you're watching the basic breakdown of a person, it is it is a difficult watch. It's always quite disturbing. Mm. I always, I mean, this is n- nothing in common here necessarily, but I always just think that the, the, the fear factor of the Blair Witch Project was all to do with. Uh, watching people fall apart more than anything else that close to the camera yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah you make a good point and having watched it and now digested it for a few weeks i do think it probably did need to be on that oscar yeah. list i struggle a lot and we've talked about this previously with something that i that makes me feel very uncomfortable and how that is still cinema mm. but i've always equated cinema with enjoyment or empathy, because mm. it's not like I enjoy seeing a film that necessarily makes me cry when bad things happen, but I, you know, there's a cathartic experience there. And Joker was, yeah, it was like that because I needed to see it after the discourse to understand what everybody was talking about. And weirdly, at the conclusion, I thought both sides are right. Mm. I, I, I didn't know where to put myself because all the people had said it was glorifying incel culture and that it was very stressful and did it need to be made and what do we think about this person and we shouldn't be allowing these people to go out and get a gun and kill people, all of that. I was like, yes, I agree. But on the other side, I was like, you have to make films about these subjects and you have to portray, well, you don't have to, but it's important to history for cinema to portray society as it is, even in its worst possible cases. And unfortunately, it cut quite close to the bone that Gotham City is kind of a little bit New Yorky in its darkest yeah. parts. There used, to, there used to be a theory going around that um, Gotham City was New York City at night. And, yeah, uh, that conver- makes sense. Conversely, Metropolis, the other, the other DC <laughs> city, was New York City at, in, day. in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah interesting. Um, good film, though. I quite liked it. 
I'm glad I've ticked it off the list. <laughs> and I'll try and make a segue now. Um, there was obviously... Well, th- this is actually controversial of me, given the podcast and what I do. But I forget her name. Her first name is Hilda, and I think she has a long German surname, and I apologise that I don't, don't know it off the top of my head. But she is the, she won the Oscar for the score and, mm-hmm. so- and soundtrack. I think, I, I think it was score for Joker. Yeah. But I spent a lot of Joker listening to tunes I didn't want to, which were existing soundtracks, yeah. like Gary Glitter. And I know that, again, that's the point. You mm. put that song in there, you're a... deliberately trying to invite the conversation about should we be giving a paedophile money well, it's an interesting question. Money well, would, for it, a song would it have been known that by the vast majority of the audience? Well... Do you think... I don't think that's a... Re- I think it was known by the people that yeah. made the film. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm sure it was. So I'm not sure I'm that's sure the was. question to, um, to ask. But, but if you're, well, but if you're trying to ask a moral question of yes. your audience, yeah. um, they have to be aware of, of the question they're being asked. And if you throw in a, yeah. a song by Gary Glitter there, yeah. uh, you, they have to be aware of the background. What do you mean they have to be? Well, otherwise it's just a song. Well, yeah, but if someone hasn't been made aware because they're too young or didn't know this Mm. and then are presented with a song, I think as a soundtrack listener and cinema goer, you assume that the music you're hearing is not necessarily made by convicted criminals. Now, if you're talking about like... um, I don't know, rap music or something like that, where part of it, you know, like the kind of Biggie and Tupac stuff or something like that, where the kind of, there's a, there's a, not that they're convicted, but do you know what I mean? There was like a gang warfare aspect to that, to the community around the music, and that's put in a film that's illustrating that. I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem with the fact that, like, I, I don't want to be seen to be giving money to a convicted paedophile when another mm. song could have worked but it's very much a distillment of art versus artist because back in the day that was a tune in the 70s 80s so i remember being little and yeah but it was played for years afterwards yeah and i didn't like that but i don't think most people did know oh sorry i don't think a lot of people who watch joker considering how much money it made that means an awful lot of people saw it Mm. because it made a billion didn't it um yeah, I think that they didn't know. And I wonder if people had have known whether they would have preferred to have listened to something else. Although, to be honest, like, I don't know how many songs I've listened to in soundtracks which are made by convicted paedophiles. I don't know. There might be more than I realise. But that one I knew, and it made me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about art versus artist? Oh, I don't know really with that one because um, I think where it gets curious is you is where you've got, for example, a band of people. Remember that you've got a lot of contributors there. You've got a lot of people that could be due royalties, uh, perform not just performers, but you've also got writers. And if there's a band, you could be looking at four or five people there. Uh, so to basically bury that piece of art at the bottom of a pit just because of one person, I think could be unfair on the others a little bit. There's nothing in the law that says you can't use that piece of copyright, provided you pay for it. No, this is a morali- um, it's a morality question. Yeah. Um, but the morality is that this one person, that the, the livelihoods of the other people that worked on the track oh, are effectively yeah. ended because of one person. I always think, hmm, well, no, I think the it's record not entirely com- fair, is it? The record company's still getting the money, it's just whether... Yeah, I, I just... Well, they are to the extent that it's being sold. That's, that's the point. 
Yeah, which it would have been. They had to have bought the rights, which would have mm. cost a lot of money, I'm mm. guessing. Well, yeah. <laughs> probably probably cheaper than some other music. Yeah. yeah, but the fact that they did that means that those other people will get paid as well, probably. That sounds like the argument for me wanting to remake Game of Thrones last season and you saying, but what about all the people in it? I don't know, I just think... I just think if push comes to shove, you should. There are plenty of songs out there which aren't quite so controversial. Oh, there but, are. Well, like, virtually every song out there is yeah. controversial. But but then that was the point of using it. Yeah, I think so. If yes. that's the actual point, I think then so. we're talking about it, and that's something yeah. to be. I think it was, but what I'm not commended? sure. What I'm not yeah. sure about is if you're not sure your audience are going to get it. What what? Why why bother? I suppose, but I don't know. Okay, one last question, mm. and then I want to move away from Joker. Um, do you think a person who used this controversial song in a soundtrack and did the score mm-hmm. should win an Oscar? Because is that not rewarding this behaviour? Well, that, I don't know, that, that presumes that the behaviour is bad in the first place. Does it not? Yeah, so if you're saying it's not, then, then surely your answer is, yeah, it's fine. Uh, but the, is the academy supposed to be making moral judgments? It certainly <laughs> likes films. Look, look, I think the academy should just be awarding the best film soundtrack actor, actress, director, whoever it happens. Well, to the be. best is subjective. But the, re- but the, re- the rea- yeah, of course, yes. it's, it's all subjective anyway. Yes, of course. If uh, the best but, is, if the best is a paedophile. But the re- the reality is, they never will. Yeah. They'll always allow um, politics and social conditions to 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 affect the decision making. But not in this case. In this case, sorry, not in this case. It went in the other direction to what it may normally mm. do. Yeah, we might say that if Roman Polanski made a film that was good enough for Oscar contention in 2021, I don't think it's going to get nominated. Woody Allen is probably a better... I don't know about that. I mean, Roman Polanski, what, did The Pianist? Yeah, but that was a while ago, yeah. I'm just saying I think common... I think the culture... I'm not sure the point you're making because I'm trying to help you make it, but now you're arguing against me. I thought you were saying that the the Oscars use politics in a more left-wing, liberal way. Probably, probably, yes. But this is a more right-wing... Yeah. Is it not like? Well, I don't know whether right wings are right, but it, either it, that or it's, it's dismissive of it um, completely. It's, more, it's in the other direction to the decisions it normally makes. Is kind of what. Also, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that it was a, a consideration when the decisions were being made. Remember, the academy is what built up a bunch of members who vote. And I, I dare say most of them probably aren't aware of the. Background. Well, I don't know. They're older, but anyway, don't know. What I'd just like to say is that Andre Desplat did the uh, score for Little Women, and he was robbed. Right, okay. And you haven't even seen that yet. No, I haven't yet. (laughs) So, moving on.
other films that we have both seen Mm -hmm. since the last recording of the podcast. And I think that they're related. And so I wanted to dive deeper into both of them. Um, They are Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And let me get this right, because whenever I mention this film name, it's even in the title of this podcast, I can't get it right. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Yeah. Um, uh, We can go one at a time and then maybe relate them. So Portrait of a Lady on Fire is by Celine Siama, who is a French filmmaker. And this is probably actually like something like her 10th film. She's made a lot, but I had no idea. Um, She is in her um, early 40s. And the film, I'm going to read out because I decided I couldn't do this as well as these really short summaries that Google seems to do with films. So this is the plot. France, 1770. Marianne, a painter, is commissioned to do the wedding portrait of Eloise, a young woman who has just left the convent. Eloise is a reluctant bride-to-be and Marianne must paint her without her knowing. She observes her by day to paint her secretly. That doesn't really explain what goes on in the film. Uh, yeah. Would you like to talk about other things that happen in um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Yeah, they, 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 they have a relationship. Um, the painter and the painty. Who so are both women. Who are both women. What was the year? What was it? Late, eight, it's late, 1770. I didn't know right. that. I'm glad for facts like that. Yeah, I... I <laughs> Did I know that? I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I can't remember it's exactly what time tell. period it was. Obvious, obviously, any kind of relationship of that, like that is going to be is going to be have to be kept uh, concealed mm. uh, in that particular time period. Do we remember when um, Lady Macbeth was set later? Was it nineteenth century? Uh, don't recall. Just a, a, the, don't I just recall. remember, you know, the film with yes, Florence yes, Pugh. Yeah. yeah, I just feel like there was a bit of a that was a bit later, but it was again, yeah. it was a little bit bonnet wearing. Yeah. Um, also, I, the time period anchors it to some extent, but the majority of the film is set on a remote island, mm. and it could be almost any time, except for the lack of technology and the, the way that people are dressed. There is, there are just enough people around the on the island to keep a sense of the social morality of of the time period in check, so that effectively they have to conceal it, and they can't they can't just do whatever they want. It, well, it, like, we never get the feeling it's illegal as such. It's almost the idea that lesbian love, which is, I think, something that, you know, many centuries ago was, was the it, case. It might have been illegal. It might have been. I don't, yeah. Do you know what? I just don't know. But I don't think that's necessarily, that's not alluded to in the film. Because it's more about social convention, Yeah. I would say, which is that yeah. almost the idea, which I think is a very kind of patriarchal idea that women can't enjoy sexual love with mm. each other. Do you know what I mean? Like it's almost like yeah. women are are put on the planet to procreate. That's why they're the ones with wombs, and they need to do whatever for men. And that you know that that they they can have relationships with women, but it's almost it it doesn't exist in the same well, way. Well, I also that... think it's it's a funny. I think both characters were emotionally starved in um, going into their relationship. I mean, you, you can almost feel the, the loneliness sort of like creeping around. The fact that it's set on this island only enhances that. Exacerbates that. Yeah, it, it's, it's so... All you've really got is an emotional connection. And, that just, and then they just sort of go with that. And you, effectively, you fall in love some, with someone off the basis of an emotional connection. 
physical proximity. It's a great film to watch in the times of coronavirus because one, they don't really go anywhere near each other until they're fully in it. And that they're, they're told to stay away from each other because of this nature of, um, I need to get the, I want to get the characters right. So, um, Marianne is the painter and Eloise is the person to be painted. And Eloise hates her picture being painted. So that's why Marianne has to secretly look at her and paint at well, night, because, which is very because, strange Because in it's, being painted as, it's being painted for a potential suitor, that's why. Yes, for her. Well, yeah, I, I, think yeah. It's, I think it's as a wedding present, isn't it? I think it's all a foregone conclusion, to be honest. Mm. She's going to Italy to get married, you yeah. know? But, um, yeah, so sorry, coronavirus one. She has to observe and she has to socially distance. Coronavirus 2. At many points in the film, they have these scarves around their mouths that look just like masks. Mm. I found that really quite weird. That I wonder whether I would have had the same reaction to it had I watched the film last year yeah. before coronavirus was a thing. Um, I also want to point out, which I don't think that description does enough, that there are four main characters. It's primarily the, the two women and the story of them falling in love. But there's also this maid character, which I find really interesting, who's called Sophie, and, it, and um, I'll, I'll just read out some actresses. So uh, Marianne's played by Naomi Mulan, Eloise by Adele Anel, who has worked with Celine Sciamma quite a few times, and the, the um, Sophie is Luana Bajrami, mm. and I just thought she was really cool, like, I just, like a really interesting little side character. And before I go back to her, I just want to also talk about the mother. I don't know if you recognise the mother. Do you remember the Countess who has a few discussions um, with Marianne about the painting? And then at one point they talk in French and then talk in Italian. I don't know if you remember that. And they talk about love. You remember the mum? Yeah, I do remember, remember her. Yeah. So she's played by Valeria Galino. Oh, uh, okay. Do you know who uh, she is? Sort of. She was in Hot Shots. That's yeah. what I know her from. Mm. So she was the hottie from Hot Shots, which I think is, is very strange to see her now in the mother role. And she's very beautiful, but she basically mm. had this... American sex kitten, like non-French Korea. That was the only thing she was kind of known for, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, for her to be playing this kind of more matronly, but um, I don't know if this is um, casual racism, but I feel like the French do older women much more beautifully than most other countries. I just think she was gorgeous. Um, so back to Sophie. I... I was kind of fascinated by this side story, which is about what's it. The reason I want to talk about this film is because of when a woman filmmaker and there's a woman cinematographer, and we'll get to that, work together, and there's a female cast about female subjects. Certain things arise, or certain things are omitted that would never be the case if it was an all male cast. So there's a side, there's a lot of spoilers in this podcast. I hope people um, realise that. I don't know how much we've spoiled already. They fall in love. I think that's probably pretty yeah. obvious from yeah, the trailer. Yeah, yeah. But I think everything I'm about to say now is a spoiler. So please fast forward if you don't want to hear this. Um, Sophie is found to be kind of, I don't know, like a quarter of the way or midway through the film to be pregnant. And we never find out who it's by and what happened. It doesn't seem to be an insinuation that it was rape, more that, I don't know, you don't even get any idea, do you, of why she's there pregnant? Is a, there is a scene where they have some sort of weird dance around a fire. Yeah, but she's pregnant, she's pregnant before She's already that. pregnant, but aren't there guys yeah. present? No, like it's all women. all women. I thought it was men. Well, I, oh. I want to talk about that scene because that's one of the best scenes in the film. But um, she just casually mentions it. And what's so stunning about the film is that they casually decide they're going to deal with it. 
No one panics. No one is outraged and wanting to pitch for command because they're not empowered enough to think that's even an option. But they do know that she doesn't want to have the baby. So then there's this whole side plot of these various ways that they try and make her mm. have an abortion, you know, get rid of the baby in some way. Mm. And, um, like, it's kind of creepy, isn't it? And the things they think they can do, like pastes that she has to put in places <laughs> and, you know, things she has to yeah, drink. Yeah. And it's almost, there's a, there's a kind of medieval sorcery aspect to it, even though it's actually entirely yeah, believable, yeah. which might just mean, be me commenting on history. Did you... What did you think about that side plot? Um, I think, I think the, 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 there's possibly a difference there if, if, the, if the man is, is there and he's, and he's willing to... The, the insinuation is that he's just gone and, and left or that um, he's, he's not interested anymore. Or, do you think and, and, so or do you think that... I don't even think they say it. Well, they don't. I think that's your they insinuation. They don't, but the insinuation is that, that I think that that's what's, that's what's sort of happened. Um, you don't think that, it's that just That said, a... that said um, she can... You know, she can still have the... I mean, she has a fairly... I wouldn't call it a comfortable life because it's not really true because she's still a maid, but, but you do live in a big house... Um, if she were, can't be a maid if she has the baby. Yeah, she'd have to leave, wouldn't she? I, I don't know. I don't know actually. Um, so, I, I the, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what I really think about it as a, as a plot line. Did it shock you the behaviour, the lengths they were going to to try well, and get rid of this? Baby? No, not necessarily. No. I don't think it's any different to what we would, uh, you know, what, what you might expect. I mean, the fact that they don't know what they're doing is. is Slightly comedic, but... <laughs> it um, is. It's actually... Um, I think it's important to talk about the tone of the film. I found it very serious. And a lot of people, when they've discussed it and reviewed it, they've said it's really horny. And I don't think it's horny at all. <laughs> I think it's this really constrained, ephemeral kind of love that they're not allowed to show. And yes, there is... There are some kind of barely sexual scenes. There really isn't much in the... I thought there'd be much more kind of women-making-love scenes, to be honest. But um, it's mostly... A, I, I feel like it, the, the plot was riven with fear and not necessarily eroticism. Well, Is that just me? No, it's forbidden love, isn't it, really? That's, yeah. that's, that's the idea of it. Um, and also... But it's not horny. No. You think it's a bit horny? No. You saw well, some nether regions. You saw some pubic hair. No, I don't think it's... <laughs> I don't think it's... It's not an overtly sort of no. sexual film in any sort of meaningful way. It's just about this idea of two people finding this forbidden love, which, which by the way, has to be finite. There, there is no way that they can continue. Um, mm. ultimate, ultimately, they are, they are both going to have to go back into society at some point, at which point this will... It's like Brokeback Mountain. It's the same concept, which is to say you, you cannot exist in the... In, in the sort of deep south or west of America as two cowboys and be gay. It's just not... It, it, when you go back to your real life, you're going to have to bury that. I think, though, you're being a bit unfair to Marianne because I don't think she has to. I think it's more about the aristocracy. Like, Marianne the painter is pseudo-aristocracy anyway. Yeah. But Eloise is basically a princess or the daughter or of a countess like or whatever she yeah, ends up being. Like so she is very much caught within... 
like it's almost that whole idea that you know aristocracy and landed gentry had to portray the the, the rules of society but in order for those below so, sort of but it Marianne didn't have sort to of, marry but it wouldn't have made any difference if they in, in terms of I don't think it would anyway in terms of their their social standing I, I, I think the film is trying to say the exact opposite. I think it's saying you can never reveal yourself to be gay because then it would lower your lower your social standing. Um, I just think the, it, for, for the for I think, I think I think the general my my view of it is that uh, that being homosexual at the time may have been illegal. Can't remember. Possibly yeah. was. Yeah. Um, but certainly would have been would have been. Uh, viewed viewed badly, but not just by aristocracy, about all yeah. elements of society. I thought it's um, never been illegal anywhere to be lesbian. I thought the whole point uh, was sodomy know. was the I issue, and that's why being gay, being homosexual, gay. Don't know, not sure. Male I, to male. Yeah. I thought I thought the whole point of lesbianism is that you know, Maybe, yeah. culturally in the past, people didn't think it yeah. was possible. You can't, like, make something illegal that can't possibly exist, whereas yeah. sodomy was against the body. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe, 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 yeah. maybe that's it, yeah. But one way or another, it certainly wasn't the done thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I, th- I and obviously there's a religious driver behind that, quite clearly. But um, the impression I got was uh, that it didn't, that ultimately, it didn't really matter what part of society you were really from. It, it was just going to be something that you were going to have to bury in, in, the, in the course of time. Yeah. And they were just so incredibly sad. I don't feel like um, I've done a good enough job explaining really what happens in this film to justify how much I enjoyed it. But um, you, you, you only ever saw a few male characters. You have a guy in a boat leading Marianne to the island and then it's all women talking to women and that island is almost entirely populated with women. I'm sure there's some guys there somewhere because that's probably how Sophie got pregnant mm. but I think they go to and from the mainland. Yeah. Um, and you, you watch women just live with each other and get on with life and actually they're not really doing anything interesting but the way that Siama like goes through it's a very short period of time isn't it she's only is she there for three weeks or one week it's a very short period of time isn't it that she's there to to paint the picture and so you get this feeling of the days being so much more meaningful and you can tell what's the next day and how they've moved on and what else is happening and is there a relationship forming here and what's happening with Sophie's pregnancy or, or whatnot um, and that kind of adds to the drama of it all when you mm. ha- like encapsulate it in this yeah. limited period before they're spread apart. And then later towards the end of the film, and this is where I get a bit confused, I think it was showing that they actually got it on a bit earlier than the viewer first oh, really? thinks. I-, I might be wrong actually because the problem was they only had limited wardrobe and they were wearing the same outfit in two scenes and they went to the same place which is that beach cove. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, is this actually just saying that when they went for that walk they got it on or is, is them just going for another walk and then they yeah. consummated their love? Yeah. Um, I don't know, but um, I liked that like time capsule of their relationship and then um going back to the fire so that so here's another spoiler so there is a portrait of Eloise on fire because they go to this we don't even know what it is it's some meetup yeah it's just some social gathering of women around a fire yeah who like to sing yeah and I'm gonna put this in the podcast because um I think it's just one of the most amazing things I've heard this year but it starts with this low humming that sounds I don't know like a, a fly or something going mm. 
and then you realize that this is a chorus of women's voices and they go into this beautiful song and it's like it's kind of scary and it's awe-inspiring and it's just something about the use of pure noise to kind of express your emotions i just um i loved that scene and during that scene that's when eloise's dress during this musical part becomes caught on fire because she doesn't realize and then that kind of etches into marianne's mind did you find that scene as compelling as i did it was culty that's what that scene was it was culty <laughs> but in a, in, a, dis- in a horrible way di- distinct impression that we were dealing with people that were quite isolated and developed their own religion almost but there you are but did you think it was see i associate cult with bad something negative well whereas i'm not entirely sure that was more of a survival well, there, was nothing, there was nothing particularly negative about, no. about it but uh it, it just uh, you know, it wasn't like they were good Christian souls in church, were they? It definitely had a, a sort of slightly... Yeah, a pagan, yeah. as, animalistic aspect, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I just... Um, that was a nice moment in the film, because otherwise it was a very yeah. quiet film, I found. You could hear the roar of the sea, and you could feel the wind, mm. and then you just... And you could you know hear the crack of the fire. There's a lot of sounds. Um, and then this just crescendo of music. I think it's things like that that elevate this mm. to greatness. Um, and then it's got a really good ending as well. And I won't talk too much about it because we've already spoiled too much. But it's very emotional and it it showed to me how you can illustrate love over time. Mm. And it's strength not diminishing. Yeah. Did you like that ending? Yeah, it was good, yeah. What did you think of the film overall as a man watching? I thought it was uh, good. I just enjoyed it. You didn't feel external to it? No, no, I don't think so. It's forbidden love. It doesn't really matter. Who it it is. Who it is. I mean, I said Brokeback Mountain, you could also chuck the Age of Innocence in there. I think Room of the View is a bit like that as well. Yes. Um, So, you know, they all basically... This, this idea that they have to bury it, and then they, but then they keep that that flame alive in their eyes or every time they see the other person, but never really being able to act on it ever again. Um, but how many lesbian melodramas set in 1770 in France are there? Like, you're, you're putting those films all together, and I think genre-wise, and maybe kind of, you know, what happens in the plot, mm. you're correct, but there is a distinct difference between this being two women. There are things that you show... The way they have sex, uh, the way women, they yeah, well, are to, intimate with well, each to the other, extent that it's, is not the same as yeah, those other films. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that it's taboo, I think, yes. Um, well, not just that. I just think a relationship between two women is not the same as a relationship between a man and oh, a well, woman. Yeah, yeah. No matter in what way. I just It's really important to show that on camera. Mm. And you're right. In, I, I think, to be honest, though you're an enlightened person and every time you watch a movie, you take it for what it is. But I think there are a lot of people out there, mostly men, who would be, that's women on screen, I don't want to watch it. Mm. But they might watch, to be honest, they might be the people who don't want to watch a room review either, because they might go, oh, this looks like a period drama, or something like that. But um, I, I, I think that it's important to say this is a good film, and that gender is both a part of it and not a part of it. Mm. Like... Love between two people is a universal story, but there aren't enough visualizations of it being two women and the the nuance of 
that love. Mm. Like the intimacy they had, I don't think, and I don't just mean it in a sexual way, just in a way that women can like do each other's dresses up and brush their hair. And I don't yeah. think, men can, yeah. men and women can do yeah. that, but it's not that they don't do it as, uh, yeah. as much. There's like, it's like being a friend and being um, in love. Yeah. Because I think uh, a male and women, man and woman friendship films, there aren't enough of those either, are there, mm. where there's not a sexual element. Um, what did you think of the cinematography? Don't know. <laughs> you don't remember much about it. Well, uh... The cinematographer is also a woman and she's won awards for it. Right. Okay. It's very, there's kind of, it's very bright in places, but there's also like a, I think there's a colourway, there's colourway changes. This is where right. it links to Joker because, oh, okay. um, I watched Joker and then I watched Portrait of Lady on Fire like immediately afterwards and they both used colour grade yeah. to determine scene and I think Joker it's like your brash vibrant yeah. neon yeah. city and in Portrait it's more pastel sea base like the sea looked beautiful all very light as well because they were in light bright rooms like you couldn't hide from what was happening because there was mm. so much brightness but you didn't you didn't notice anything in particular. No, no sorry. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, her name's Claire Mathon. Oh, okay. Uh, and good for her. It's not often you have a DP, a director, and your two leads all being women. Mm. So um, even though it was in the French language and I had to read to work out what they were saying to each other, mm. it very much <laughs> passed the Bechdel test. Mm. Do, do you think that it deserves all the awards that it's and the attention it's getting. Because this was a film that, like, both this and Joker, were, well, this wasn't divisive, but this really came into the public consciousness yeah. for saying something different. And I don't think it permeated your world. Possibly not. Uh, well, I just thought it was a good film. Um, yeah. I don't... Hmm. Do you think it's a great film? Well, too early to say. Yeah, you, 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 you've got to, I, I, think, I think it takes me, a, a, it, it takes a while to just sort of like develop a, okay. an assessment of that. Would um, you watch it again? Because you wouldn't watch Joker again. I, I don't know if I would. Um, okay. But, the, but then again, it's, that's only because there are only finite, there are, there are millions and millions and millions of films in the world and I can, I've only got so much time. So I, I feel like I, if, I you know, I, I, I dedicate two watches to something is quite, I only ever saw The Age of Innocence once, I never yeah. saw Room of the View once. So uh, let me just interrogate this further then. Yeah. You said it over time. Do you mean if you think about the film, do you think if it stays in your consciousness? Yeah. You're not going to watch it again. Yeah, I don't understand yeah. how it changes well, over I, time. I, I mean, I, I might watch it again down the right. line, but yeah. I, would, I certainly wouldn't watch no it. No judgment. Immediately. certainly wouldn't watch it immediately. But, um, yeah, you, you need you, you can't really tell straight away. It's what, um, I, I think it takes a bit of time for it to sort of like, uh, uh, you know, digest and find its way into your head a little bit, and then and then and only then do I really sort of draw an assessment. For me, this is, by the way, this that's is, all right. Yeah, yeah. But I'm asking your opinion yeah. as a, a person who holds it and who's watched an awful lot of movies. Yeah. For me personally, I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a brilliant film. I really enjoyed it. I think the tone of it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be from the discourse before I watched it, but I thought that it showed things that you just don't see, mm. and I'm always about that innovation, and obviously I'm always going to champion a film with mm. this much female talent available. Um, and that music part in the middle was just, I think everybody should watch that if nothing else. Um, as an addition to the 
forbidden romance genre it's mm. incredibly welcome and i hope that it now gives Celine Siamma a greater platform yeah. because she's been working on this kind of high quality like women going from teenagehood to adulthood films for ages and if she gets more money and more projects mm-hmm. then so be it although i wonder if she'll now do english language films um i think it's a really really good film and i recommend it to everyone listening please watch portrait of a lady on fire i saw you weren't at school today i went to the doctor are you okay yeah i'm fine what's wrong world problems bad cramps yeah i get those two pretty much run through a bottle of painkillers like every month yeah same don't you ever just wish you were a dude all the time and now for our next film can you say the title no <laughs> do you know we're gonna try no. okay. never rarely sometimes always this is a film by Eliza Hitman, and I think it's only her third film, and she is coincidentally a very similar age to uh, Celine. She is in her early 40s, and this film came out this year, 2020, and the plot is, faced with an unintended pregnancy and a lack of local support, Autumn and her cousin Skylar travel across state lines to New York City on a fraught journey of friendship, bravery, and compassion. So obviously the natural relationship with Portrait of a Lady on Fire is that one, you have two main characters who are women. Or these are, well, I think they said they were, were they over 18 or are they 17? They were 17, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, so they're 17 mm-hmm. or around that age. And um, two, it obviously deals with unwanted yeah. pregnancy. And the other, the third way that really it links with Portrait is that you never find out, again, this is a spoiler, but um, not necessarily in the usual sense, you never find out who made Autumn pregnant. Yeah. And that is, I believe, Eliza Hitman saying, that's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's really important. What did you think about, I'm going to call it Never Rarely. Never Rarely. (laughs) Because I can Um, get confused. Yeah, it's like a... It follows a sort of indie film kind of uh, look and feel, doesn't it? Really, yeah. Um, everything sort of every, everything sort of, sort of slightly cheap and shot in a sort of. Uh, <laughs> I, I you mean they're, 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 I don't know what you mean cheap. You mean they're they're poor. They're, nobody's particularly. You, oh, it, oh, you're saying it's like cinema verite style. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or, uh, well, or or just or, or you you can you know you can sense the sort of. The lack of budget, I suspect. Yeah. In this film. Okay. Fair. Um, um, fairly, yeah, fairly, uh, fairly well done, though. Um, it, it's a funny film, isn't it? Really, it, 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 it I've, 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 I've it, it reminds me of a film. Oh, you know, forget. I, I won't even go there because I can't remember what the name of that is. Film it not is. four months? Uh, no, oh. it's not actually. But no. all of that. You is did a good mention film. that I know before. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, of the difficulties of getting uh, getting an abortion in America when you particularly want one, and the differing views on it, so to speak, um, it's a funny film about about what they have to go through as well to get there. Uh, I think again, 
these films are such a perfect companion to one another because in 1770 yeah. you're not allowed to do X, Y, Z, and in 2019 you still have like almost as many troubles if you're a young girl who accidentally becomes pregnant yeah. and also um some horrible things happen where um where you think it's the system acting against her she goes to this family planning clinic which is and i think it's in pennsylvania we decided didn't we yeah they because were in, we, yeah some small that, yes. there, there is the name of the town is mentioned but i can't remember yeah i've it forgotten is, as but it is well. in pennsylvania yeah. yeah and um she goes to this family planning clinic but it's very clearly in the world we live in now where abortion is very much steered away from and this is your beautiful baby this is what you need to do. We will help you with all of that is the focus. And then they tell her that she is um, not as far along in the pregnancy as she actually is when later on she has another test. And I wasn't sure whether that was a commentary on bad testing or whether it, they were lying to her because obviously it's much more difficult to get an abortion well, the further along that. you are the I term. It, I don't I think it's that. ever determined. But, but then... But at the same time, I could not get my logic hat around why they would have lied to her, why, why they would have deliberately told her that she was in... Well, that she was early. ...say, first trimester versus second trimester. Because it's far easier to get an abortion in the first trimester than it is in the second. So if she was in the second, why didn't they just tell her that and say, actually, sorry, you're stuck with this? I think that... Do you know what? I don't know. And I don't know whether you're supposed to know because yeah. I think if Hitman was going to make a commentary, she'd probably get into trouble with yeah. legal, I'm guessing. But um, my take on it was that you're never quite sure, but it was being done... It was either they had poor equipment because they weren't well-serviced, and then that's a point yeah, about that, which, that. Yeah, that, that, that I think, And yeah. you don't necessarily yeah. need good equipment to help a woman get through to giving birth. I actually think that was more likely. Yeah, but anyway. that was probably it, and the yeah. fact that there needs to be more funding. And Well, the second thing was that um, if they say she's earlier and they don't help with abortions, then she has to go somewhere else, which is what happens in the plot, in order to get an abortion... And then it's found out that she's later and it suddenly becomes more difficult. It's fine in the end because she still hasn't hit, I think it was a 24 weeks? I don't even know. Um, period. But I, I was, do you know what I mean? I was just wondering whether there was something evil in it as well. But it is more likely to be the earlier. Mm. I agree. But nonetheless, the system is letting her down. Before that, actually, I'd like to talk about a bit that really affected me, which was the creepy boss in mm. the bloody supermarket store they work in oh my god so autumn and skylar work as checkout assistants like a lot of teenagers do and they have a male boss and they're both like you know 17 year old girls just wearing a normal uniform they're not like um there doesn't seem to be any kind of flirty relationship or anything suggesting that this is wanted and then there's this scene where there's a counter where they give their takings is it for the day that they take out of their yeah. tills and they, they have to, the guy pulls their hands through and kisses, like kind of snogs their hands. I was so like viscerally upset by that scene. And he's just like, there's the way that Hitman weaves in the creepiness and possessiveness of men in that town and how, and how they've just accepted it as normality, mm. I think is really good because you just bristle at it. But then they just carry on because they're like this is our life yeah. we can't change this yeah 
Um, did you find that creepy? Well, it was, think... he was just, I thought he was one of about three male people who, who could have been the father. Um, yes, there's a potential um, it could be her ex-boyfriend at the very beginning. Um, all, all, of, all of whom have flaws and are particularly nice. Um, Do you think all the male characters in Never Really are portrayed in a negative way? Well, certainly the, the, uh, certainly the three potential fathers, um, I, I think, probably are, yeah. Which is, well, you think it could be him? I don't think it could be him. I think it could be the boy at the beginning uh, yeah. who she was dating. But I, I, and it, unfortunately, it could also be a stepfather. I thought, I thought it could be him. I mean, I, 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 think, I think he's probably the least like, but it's, it's not really the point. The, the point is you portray... Three different male characters as uh, you know, pr- pretty nasty people. All three of them. It doesn't really matter who's the father. I think you're invited to believe one of them is, but I, well, maybe not. Maybe that they just happen to be representative of males in the town, as it so as it so happens. That's how I took um, it. Funny you should say that. I didn't take them as quite as awful as you did. I actually, and I wonder if this is a male and female reaction to it. I just took this as no, sorry. I did think they were awful, but I also took this as. This was this was their life, like you said. This is just what yeah. people were like. Yeah. Like the there's no, a there, there's no, a no one ever does anything that's kind of sort of hashtag rape. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a funny thing that you got the, the well te- potentially stepdad, but we never see you, it. You got the teenage boy who's just acting like a teenage boy. He's being a douche. He's being a douche, but you know he's. <sighs> But at some point, when she's talking to someone later, they go into an intimate description about... And this is where the title of the film comes from and is the most moving part of the whole film, and I cried a lot, which is when, basically, she goes to... Because they won't help her have an abortion and she knows she wants to have an abortion in Pennsylvania, her and Skylar take a bus for, like, virtually a whole day um, to New York City and they find Planned Parenthood or what have you, um, that they'd be able to find someone who can do the operation for her even though she has to pay which I thought was quite interesting and there is the, the scene the reason why the film is named this way is because there is a scene where a woman has to ask a number of questions to Autumn before she has the abortion to make sure that she's in the right frame of mind but they're also to see whether there's any abuse or anything else that's happening to her which caused her to get pregnant in the first place and it's absolutely heart-wrenching because it says things like has anyone ever mistreated you has anyone ever coerced you into sex um have you ever done things you didn't want to do that kind of thing and then the idea is is that she's answering never rarely sometimes or always and god it makes me upset just thinking about it now um in the film you can see the actress who plays her and i don't know if she's brand new she's called sydney flanagan who plays autumn is just crying her eyes out and she gets to a point where she cannot answer the question and you get the feeling that she is just completely coerced sexually in her life by whoever it is. And they said, the reason why I brought this up, apart from the fact that it is one of the most important parts of the story, is that um, that's where she says, oh, my ex-boyfriend, he wouldn't, he, he never wanted to wear a condom. And you don't know who that is, mm. but it sounds like it could be the boyfriend. But then there is this kind of creeping insinuation that she could be being abused by her stepdad. Yeah. But it's never, ever established. No, he's not. It, again, he's the same as the... I mean, again, just going back, it was the... It was the you got the, the young... The, the, the teenage... The teenage kid who's, who's, is what he is, but he's not really doing anything necessarily unusual. It's and really, he's only at the beginning of the film. You don't um, even see him And then you've got the, 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 the father, the stepfather, I think it is. Yeah. Um, who... It's, 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 it's sort of... 
hinted at in roundabout ways and maybe he's sexually abusing them, maybe not, but or, or maybe he just has an abusive relationship with her mother, who, who knows, but you don't really see anything to make you think it's all that bad other than him just making some comments that he probably shouldn't. It's, um, it's and, very and, and clever it's, with the camera work, isn't know, it? I think you're right. I think if you actually but say... Then, but then, hang on. Um, yeah, the, no, the, sorry. Sorry. The, uh, the, and then the other guy, that was put by far the worst, you'd say, is the boss. Um, he, he genuinely is doing something that he's absolutely crossing the line. And without wishing to sort of belittle that, it, it, it's, it's still not rape. It, it, you know, it, it's... It, it's it's, um, it's uh, sexual assault. Yeah, it's demeaning. Yeah. And it, and it's, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's legal sexual assault. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes, but it's not enough to get a break. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> Kissing someone's you know, hand does not get you a break. You know, it, it, it's all yes. a bit kind of... Um, no, I, I just... Was, yeah. yeah, sorry. No, ahead. no, no. I, I was just going to say, I just wanted to check as well. Um, this is also, I didn't even realise this, a female DP. Elaine Louvard is... Oh, okay. uh, she sound, that sounds Canadian. I have no idea. I'm just guessing. No, it's French. There you go. Here's what I know. So that's interesting, isn't it? So uh, without me even realising, we have two films that... Um, I don't know if you've heard of the FFF test. Do you remember me talking about this when we talked about the, the best films of no. the decades? That's when you try and get a producer-director star or producer-director cinematographer, what have you, all being women. Right. And it's called Passing the FFF. And the, both of these films have passed the FFF oh, okay. test, which oh. is really good. But I, I wanted to talk about Louvar because I think it's her camera work and I'm sure Hitman's direction that gives you this awful sense that something bad is happening. But you are absolutely right. We don't see anything mm. terrible actually happening. There's just this weird like, vibe of her being stuck in a situation that got well, her the, pregnant the, it's, yeah, it's the, by abuse by a man. Yeah, it, she didn't want to have a baby. I, I don't even know if I call it abuse as much as I call it exploitation by men more than anything else. Um, I mean, apart from the guy with the hat. I think it is hat, abuse when she that, has yeah. that, when she answers yeah. that, that questionnaire. Do you not think... Um, this is whether you... It's coercion. And what, what you call it, you know, who's to say? But basically, she felt like she had to go along with all the things... Like, it kind of talked about sexual acts she didn't want to do as well. Yeah. It's actually a really very yeah. personal, yeah. revealing yeah. survey. Yeah, I mean, I think them. the overarching... Well, we'll come to that in a minute, I suppose. Mm. Um, the, 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 other, the other male character, by the way, was the... the oh, the boy. We'll talk about boy. him that they meet in New York. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Well, no, he, he, he's just a... Because I thought he was a creep as well. Well, he is. He is. <laughs> And but he's probably, what, early he 20s? He's, like, slightly older than them, but not by much. But he doesn't, again, he doesn't cross... Like, I mean, exactly what lines he really crosses there are, are debatable, really. He fancies one of the girls. He likes one of the girls. He, Skylar. Yeah, he asks them to come along to a, I don't know, his, some, some gig or some club or to something like that. To a party, and then they uh, decline because they've got they, to go they, to they bed. Decline, <laughs> they, 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 they decline because she's having an abortion. And sleep in good, the train good station. Excuse, good excuse. Yeah. Um, but they ultimately decide that they need him because they're, they're going to need his money so that they kind of utilise him to say well actually yeah. uh, sorry but, you know we're going to meet up with you and ultimately we're going to get yeah. because they effectively run out of money at one point yeah, or another. Let, yeah let's get into but, detail but, about that but, but, let me stop you just to okay, quickly sure, t tell sure. the audience the, the plot there yeah. and then you should carry on so they're on a bus they're on this Greyhound bus yeah. on the way to New York City this guy the reason why I don't like him immediately is because this guy kind of touches Skylar and he's like hi hi because he's in the seat next to and then he kind of coerces her which you might say very lightly but I would say this is just so 
normal into giving her phone number and she gives him the real phone number whereas I was shouting at the screen well, she could, to give yeah. her phone number but I think she actually fancied him and I didn't realise that at the time I just yeah. saw this creepy guy the, the, I mean I mean, I, I, I just just my, my general feeling mm. my general moral judgement yeah. on that is I don't think he does anything wrong with that see point. I disagree he touches her okay and yeah, he, yeah and he she yeah. does not want to take his number but what's he supposed and to, she, But she doesn't have to give him her number. I think this is a difference between men and women. Sure, and I, I think absolutely. it's a really important discussion for us to have, which yeah. is if I was in that situation, not now, but especially when I was 17, and I didn't want to, I would have felt coerced into doing it. And in fact, I can tell you on a number of occasions, yeah. mostly when I've been out in clubs and stuff, and it's a little bit more the done thing, yeah. someone has said, and I've given wrong digit numbers as well. And I remember once I gave my boyfriend's number of the time, and the guy called and my boyfriend answered and I had to explain that to him because I was like no I was giving him your number because I wanted to prove that I had a boyfriend and he wouldn't leave me alone so I think that even that way the way it's done is very clever because it's still coercion she doesn't want it the impression I get from her mannerisms and she might like him I don't know but she's got other things and he forces it onto her not in a way that some of the other forcing happens Mm. but it's still it's a very patriarchal move of you will take my number I just felt like he when someone says no, though, the okay. first time, you should not follow it up with, I, you want my number. In, in that scene, he goes, she goes, no, don't worry about it. I don't know. I you don't think know. there's a dating aspect. Yeah, I, I think there's an element of him just, okay. just basically hitting on it. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Do you think, though, that women say no and they mean yes? Um, because if, if a guy says that to me, I know immediately on seeing him whether I think he's attractive well, or was, not. If, I just think about this. If I was hitting on a girl yeah. and I asked for her number... Uh, if she said, I might persist a couple of times. If she said no, then probably just give but it up. What, what, do you also, think that's also, a dance? Also, by the way, if she gave me the yeah. wrong number and I called it and it was... I, no, I, you'd I, get over I'd it. I'd get the message pretty quick. No, yeah, but let's well. go back to, um, do you think, do, does society, does, does male society think that women are being coy? Do you know the scene in Pride and Prejudice where Mr. Collins is consistently asking Elizabeth Bennet yeah. to marry him and so he does it in about five different ways yeah. and he goes oh ladies of your persuasion they have to say no to start with because that's what a lady a polite lady is right. supposed to do yeah. and that's even in Jane Austen bloody times yeah. there is this idea that women can't make their mind up immediately and that men should try again but I think at the moment of the first try again a man is being coercive. I don't know. To be honest with you, I think here's what I think: if if you give up after the first attempt, you are never getting a date. Is is generally, as a man, I'll tell you, you, you are going to get a hell of a lot less dates. So if you why, just give up? So why do you think women say no first? Um, I, I think it's a sort of instinctive reaction to say no for, for women. Actually, uh, okay. Let me ask you another question: If a woman was to ask a man out, yeah, and the man said no, yeah. Do you think that that's an instinctive reaction? To say no? Yeah, if, if a woman asks a guy out yeah. and he says no, yeah. should the girl continue to try? Yeah, she's perfectly entitled to. Do you think it's an instinctive reaction on the, the side of the man? To say no? Yes. Um, I think it's an instinctive reaction on the part of just somebody... You think it's a human asking, interaction? ...asking you out in a, in a slightly unusual setting more than anything else. But okay. there's, there's, there's nothing to say that you can't do it. Um, okay, I was just wanting to check whether you didn't think that a man knows his own mind, but a woman does. No, I mean, 
it's 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 an unusual setting to ask to say you you know you're you're on a bus and you say oh, what about in a club in a club um I I think if you I think going I think if you go to a club as yeah. a man or a woman yeah you're slightly putting yourself out there yeah. as available so if you if you're a man um, in a club and you say to a woman yeah. Can I buy you a drink? Can I? Yeah. Can you give you number? And they say no. Yeah. Well, yeah. you should try again. Well, you could. Uh, but you, you may not get anywhere second yeah. time either. Yeah. Um, I just don't think. I, I, just, I just don't think you should I, try I more than once. I just don't think asking twice is that bad. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think I think it's it's showing a bit of persistence is not necessarily a bad thing. I think we will agree to differ, but I also think that it's a very uh, it, it, it's very case by case. Basis, yeah. but my impression of the film is that that was another example that Hitman wanted to put on camera mm. of these girls just being coerced into things they don't want to do at every step because they're not empowered because they're seventeen-year-old girls. Right. So anyway, I think we should we should keep going with this guy though because it's very interesting how the how things change because I agree that. I'm annoyed with him thinking he's trying to coerce her, but then they get to a point later on in the film where they completely run out of money because Autumn has to pay for the abortion and she doesn't want to put it on her parents' insurance because then the parents have to know and she has to tell them, which is one more um, iron in the fire of thinking it might be the mm. stepdad who did it, or maybe she just doesn't want to tell her parents, because I can imagine a lot of 17-year-old pregnant girls who live at home don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Or they might think they might want to her to have the baby. Who knows? We don't even know. So they then call this guy up again, and he takes them round town, and he pays an awful lot of money mm. for both of them, but, and never so asks for it, anything well, back. Well, does he? Does they he, are taking... Well, um, well, okay, yes. Is I, there a transactional he, nature? He expects something back yeah. for that. And he gets some heavy petting uh, with Skylar, but well, he, doesn't get, he doesn't get any sex, I don't I think. I don't know about that. Do you think they had sex in the train yes. station? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't. I, I think, think they, it was too open. I think they went to somewhere semi-private, like a bathroom or a toilet and I think they had something. But I thought Autumn comes up and sees them kissing. You think that's post? Yeah. Oh. Okay, she, well she's I didn't waiting around that. for it ever before she goes. Yeah, there. I just think they're what? heavy petting forever. But I don't know. That's um, my theory. I, I, I don't believe that. That's I, interesting. I, I think she had to have sex. But I have to say we're both or at least making do something. No, no, but they, he had his hands down her pants. But yeah. they were but I didn't I didn't think they'd gone anywhere. I think you and I both don't know. We don't and know. And there is an insinuation and we do know for certain that she definitely does yeah. Snork him and things uh, like that. And she also, he gets her very drunk. Again, she is a little bit complicit because she asks for another drink. Because to be honest, she's very stressed about this situation, I thought. Well, Autumn can't she's, drink. She's, she's about of, to have an abortion. Well, she's aware of what's going to happen at that point. Um, uh, which do you think so or do you she think knows, she's naive? No, I don't think she's in the least bit naive. This is so interesting. When she called him up, I think she knew really? she was probably going to sleep with him. Yes. But let me ask you that. Is yeah. that... Correct. No, not necessarily. But uh, it, it's a it's a it's it's a transaction, isn't it? Because it, it, I mean, it, it's a funny thing that because she what what she's effectively saying is, I'll sleep with this guy. So in that case, the film is making a statement that in certain circumstances, the power that women have has the pay, the power a woman has is to utilize her body in exchange for money. Could be. I think we can agree, though, that the film is primarily about how Autumn and, to some extent, Skylar are 
mistreated by society in terms of getting access to yeah yeah information and the ability to have an abortion yeah. and oh, also yeah. not saying no everything's made difficult for them isn't it um um, not just from the misinformation uh, that they get uh, when they're in their little small town somewhere in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, I do feel, though, they, they, I mean, like, this is probably, a, I don't know, maybe this is just youth, possibly, but I do feel they could have researched what was, nece- what was required or what would have been necessary when they got to New York a little bit more so they'll be mm. more prepared. I think, though, that that's us looking through the... Because I think I agree with you, but I think that's through the lens of being more of an adult. Well, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think it, it, it's... Um, I, I'm possibly not being fair to them there because they are quite young, so maybe they just thought they could just turn up. Um, I don't know. I would, I would have thought you'd have at least checked or, or done some research to figure it out. Well, she... Yeah, I just think the whole thing felt very real. That's kind of why it was mm. cinema verite, mm. really, because it just felt like... It's pseudo-documentary, but with these added kind of moments of outrage, which kind of make yeah. it, yeah. like, give you the feelings of fiction. But unfortunately, I think it's all too realistic. Yeah, yeah. They weren't given a lot of help at any point, were they? They had to basically do it all themselves. No, yeah, no help at all. And I don't know whether in our discussion we've made this film sound like it's really depressing. I didn't actually find it that way. I felt very frustrated and angry at points, but I felt like it was doing a a good service because I felt like it was telling a story that's kind of of now. And it's about white girls in America. Yeah, it could well be. Um, Doesn't look good, does it, in terms of... There's just so many obstacles for them along the way. Um, they have to do it all themselves. Um, I have to go through qu- you know, quite an extensive journey. They have to do things they may not really want to do that they haven't really got the money for either. That leads them down other paths. There's just, it's essentially a lesson in, we're gonna make life, we're gonna make it very hard for you to get an abortion. Um, you can still do it because we're going to permit it by law, but we're going to make it really hard for you. Um, Would you say then that you think there's a political message? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a pro-choice film, isn't it? Absolutely. I think so. I think all, yes, I think it is. But I also think it's just showing how anti-choice America is. Uh, or pro-life. Or pro-life, um, yeah. Or maybe that's, or maybe... Or maybe where they came from is very pro-life um, and they had to go somewhere else to, to, to find a different environment. Even when they got to New York, it wasn't easy for them. But then again, I don't think that the um, sort of uh, abortion clinic that they ended up at was being awkward. It's, no, it, I it, thought it's they were It's just that the process mm. was, was more in-depth and complicated mm. than, than they knew about. That's all, mm. that's all it really is. Now that bit, you, you'd sort of say, well, okay, fair enough. That's what is what it is. They still have to travel to get there with not a lot of money. I think that's probably the key, is that because they were disadvantaged to start with, it was very difficult for them. So poverty or in not, you know, yeah. just not being well off, I think poverty is maybe going too far because I don't think they were poor either. They were just kind of average working class people who just, she got herself in a sticky situation and 
I, I just thought, you know, we talked about coercion earlier. We also haven't really talked enough about the coercion of kind of the American political system, which is uh, the American healthcare system, which is populated by women. You know, it's not just, I talked about men coercing women into various things, but also this is an entire exploration of the system coercing her. The, fir- mm. the first part of the film has that older woman who is definitely trying to make her feel bad, but in such a clever way, it's not black and white saying, oh, you're a terrible person. You know, I think she gets it. She goes through some protesters, doesn't she? Is that in New York? Possibly. Yeah. I think, I think it always looks a bit off when, I mean, keep in mind, it is a, it's a very divisive point, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. If Mm. you go to somewhere and they start showing you a video of why you should keep your child, Mm. then they, they are very much uh, putting themselves on one side of the fence and, and they're trying to convince you of that. That clearly isn't what you need when you're, when you clearly need a more objective view. I don't think I'd have minded that if the other side had also been presented, which it obviously wasn't. Mm. Um, I do, I, well, I'm not sure I agree because I think the problem is that the pro-choice side is a lot more detailed and nuanced than the pro-life side. Mm. So you can't make this a fair fight because one is dominating because it's the government that's in power, mm-hmm. but it's also the message that's the simplest but has no room for the nuance of an individual situation. I think it's, the, don't, it's have a baby, don't have an abortion in any situation. I think, I think there's, a, there's an irony to it all as well. I mean, you, you mentioned before, the, it, is, it is an indictment of the healthcare system in general, which if you base it on money and insurance is inherently going to favour people with wealth. But having gone through all of this and explained to her why she should keep her child, there's not a lot of explanation or not, not a lot of support given thereafter. The assumption is you should just keep the child. Not much of a, not no ongoing support, let's put it that way, or what long-term effects that could have. Yeah. Might be good, might be bad. But there's, the, the impression you get is have the child, but it's your problem. Yeah, it, the, the, the child, you're a murderer if mm. you have an abortion, but also, yeah, not taking into account that they would then have to be the mother as yeah. well. Although, although I do believe the woman in the clinic at the beginning, the, the local clinic, did say, oh, we might be able to help you find someone, like, you know, adoption or fostering or something. Yeah, I so suppose. I suppose there was that. I suppose. Um, in the end, I, th- I feel like I'm making it sound like it's this terrible, unenjoyable film. Did you find anything I, I enjoyable about it? Well, I, I don't think it is well, okay. So it is a political film. Yeah. I, I, well, I think it is anyway, and it is aiming at the sort of pro-life versus pro-choice argument. And I yeah. def- definitely feel it, it slides onto the onto the pro-choice side of things. And that, yes. in my view, anyway. Well, it's, it shows um, how difficult it is to but, be pro-choice. But I don't think that that's absolutely at the core of it. I think it was absolutely at the core of it is if you choose to get an abortion, and it is going to be difficult for yeah. you. I think that that's that's the key. Yeah. Um, and it's the lack of support that's the issue there. I agree, but I also think the second equally important part of the whole film, which I think is what elevates it above something which could be better put as a documentary, is the sly, insidious way that society and other people coerces a young woman mm. into doing things she mm. doesn't want to do. Yeah. And I think that's the true... Yeah. 
magnificence of this film is by laying out clearly just these small conversations or uh, you know interactions that show how difficult it is to be a teenage girl yeah. when you're faced with something as yeah. serious as this. Yeah, yeah. But Agreed. I did really enjoy it. I thought it was a really good film. I, w- I was sad, like I said, but... Um, it's, it's got that classic indie feel to it, hasn't it? It's got that sort of, um, that sort of cheapness to it. Uh, and I say that, and I mean that in a complimentary way, because it, you, 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 you film it in a very kind of matter-of-factish sort of way with sort of low camera resolutions, yeah. and, and it has that sort of real, down-to-earth, real-life feel to it. Um, and there's, there's a definite style to that. Um, and I think it comes across better... Had it than it would have done had it been a bit more glossy. Yeah, if you had like um, Christian Stewart or someone who you know some some seventeen year old famous actress. She's seventeen. So, no, she's not. That oh, was right. I was just trying to think of someone who I'd seen because she was in Twilight when oh, she was right. seventeen. I think I was just trying to think of someone. I was like, I can't oh. think of anyone who's famous in Na- that Natalie age. Natalie Portman. She was quite young when she no. was in Leon, wasn't she? <laughs> who actually is Jodie that Foster age was quite now? Young when she was in then I was going to say the two sisters. What are the two blonde sisters called? But they're too old as well. They're well into their twenties. You know the one, the Fanning, the Ellen oh, Dakota Fanning. Yeah, yes. I was like, oh my god, I don't know anyone. Who's an actress who's seventeen? I don't know because usually if you need to you need to get someone to play a seventeen year old, yeah, you get or twenty who's year old. older or even twenty. I can't mm. think of someone that shows that I'm not watching enough of those films. Um, I'd also like to quickly say that um, uh, both of these films, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and um, this film, uh, talk about white experience. Mm. Um, there's barely any people of color in either film. And I think that's my one criticism of both films is that I don't think it would have been that hard to have put someone in. Yeah, possibly. In each film, have one character who is like non-white. Do you think it looked odd in Portrait of Lady on Fire, given that it's set in what eighteenth century? Well, I actually think that the character of Sophie, the the maid who became pregnant, she was probably. I don't actually. I don't know this. I don't know why I'm saying that. She may have been of a French territory origin, like Algerian or something right. like that. I think that's the way you would. And I don't know that for certain. I'll look it up. But um, that's the way you probably could have done it with a French film. I always think you should. You know, although you know that's a. We can definitely put colonialism in in a film set in 1770. That feels about right. But you could. I I think you could have done it. I I don't. I'll go back to Lady Macbeth again. Like the character that Lady Macbeth, Florence Pugh's character, is having. You know, she has sex with the guy. He's black. You can can do it. And there was a whole conversation I think you and I had about this at the time, didn't we? Or maybe I had it with Becky. There's an earlier version of the podcast where we talked about Lady Macbeth. And um, of the time, that may not have been um, as, like, you know, as usual as if she was having sex with a white person. But I think you could, I think colourblind is a good thing. It is. I think it it depends on what the story. Like, if you wanted to do. a sort of Shakespearean adaptation or a Dickensian adaptation. Mm-hmm. I, I would argue that you can put anybody of any colour in any of that now because they... there's such well-established stories. It doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. If you're telling something a bit more uh, less well-known or a bit more idiosyncratic or something where you're trying to tell a specific story of a time and a place, it could get trickier if there just aren't any people of colour around at that time. 
Well, I don't know what you mean by around. They're in existence. I, um, but I mean, not, I... But, but not necessarily on a secluded island in a, in a country estate. If you're talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I see what you're saying. I don't care. Yeah, look, <laughs> you, you, could, you could still do it. You could still do it. I, I still think it'd be all right. I think that the only thing I would be concerned about is giving the impression that someone of colour had more rights at that time than they did. Yeah, it depends That's on, the only flip side. Does, but it, I, I think that should does, be outweighed yeah. by giving it more does. working actors It does. It depends on the sort work. of... Work. It depends on the, on the sort of how... On, on what on whether you're making a comment about sort of the history or, or, or the accuracy of the history, so to speak, or, or not. Hmm. Um, and I think in the case, as I mentioned before, in the case of like a Dickensian or a Shakespearean, you're not really, you're just telling a story, a well-established story as well. Yeah, well, that, there's a latest version of a David Copperfield film, yeah. and that has Dev Patel yeah. as David Copperfield. So yeah. there you go, yeah. it's happening. Yeah. But I just wanted to point it out that these films, I'm saying, oh, this is a universal female discussion two women falling in love or women getting up having unwanted mm. pregnancy but i wonder if there's an element to it that makes it even more difficult if you're not white i suppose one of the issues would have been with that especially in portrait of a lady is it is you're creating a uh it's really about the 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 suppression of that sort of element of society isn't it as far yeah. as two women are concerned if you if you throw a sort of racial element into it too, you're possibly clouding the very thing you were you were trying to make in the first place, which is unless the director's colourblind, unless yeah. you 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 create the story, I, you, you're playing into the prejudice prejudices of well, the time. Well, let me ask you this: if if mm -hmm. one of them was say, oh, in portrait of a lady, if one of them was yeah. white, one of them, was, one of them yeah. was white, does that change? You mean if one of them was black? They're both white. Did I say white and white? Yeah. Apologies, <laughs> black and white. <laughs> um, One of them is that, not white. Yes, does that change uh, the meaning of the film? Do you, view, do you view it differently? That's a good question. Celine Siama is actually, I think she's made other films where she's looked more, I think she made Girlhood and that was definitely not just about, although I think it was about black teenagers. Um, uh, <sighs> You might be right, but you shouldn't be right. Mm. Yeah, I shouldn't be right. There's, there's no... Actually, I don't know. You're right, it's a different story. It doesn't mean it's a story that shouldn't be told, but then you do probably add in racial prejudice along with, yeah. oh, yeah. you're not allowed to be lesbian. Yeah. Uh, and also control of women. I, I don't know. I think it's good that we mentioned it. But, yeah, this is when you go down a route of... Do you colour blind cast in every single film? Does it make a difference? And maybe we're not there yet. Or oh, it depends what point you're trying to make, isn't it, really? I think, I think if you're... But if they were two black women, then you're saying, what about if everybody in Portrait of a Lady on Fire was black? I think that's still Or work. was non-white, sorry. And maybe that would work, actually. Yeah, and it was about... Because then, well, you're not drawing attention to the racial element, necessarily. Yeah. But that's I think the if... problem with these films, is that if you do have a person who's non-white, it's one character, which mm. I was saying, oh, let's do that. But then you're white, it becomes tokenism. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no way to solve this, and you and I shouldn't but um i wanted to acknowledge it yeah okay um would you recommend never rarely sometimes always <laughs> the film i can um, say yeah it's good it's good uh, I, I i it's just a, a, a nicely rounded indie film um 
that, that we need to support because uh, Portrait of Lady on Fire has made loads of money, like relatively speaking, it's not Joker, but I don't think anyone's really seen this film. Mm. Um, and you can get it now, I think, through, how did we watch it? Amazon Prime? It was Prime or Netflix, somewhere, one of the big streaming services. And mm. I urge everyone to watch it because I believe that Hitman deserves, uh, you know, it to make more money so she can make more film she's a real talent and i thought the actresses were really good as well oh thanks very much thank you thank you to nick as always for talking about these films with me thank you to you for making it through to the end of the episode i hope we convinced you to watch portrait of a lady on fire and never rarely sometimes always if you want to get in touch with Beyond Beckdale, all the ways you can do so are in the show notes of the pod and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. I think there are far too many women in film. (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeping that. I'm going to put it at the end as an Easter egg. You laughing as well. (laughs)